Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. this Thursday, March 23rd. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. Follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll have Doug Haller of The Athletics set to join us around 11.15. We'll get into Bobby Hurley and his contract extension with ASU Hoops and a little bit more around the program. But first, let's recheck in with our poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question. Who do you have ATS on Thursday? That's right. Sweet 16 gets started tonight. Gonzaga plus one and a half or UCLA minus one and a half. UCLA's lead continues 67% of the vote. Gonzaga 33%. Pretty amazing because after four days of the NCAA tournament and you know, the elimination of you know, go from you know, 68 last week to 16, Seemed like that was you know, quite the quite the marathon, and now it seems like you know, four days later, five days later, I'm sitting there, can't wait for games to start. <laughs> so, things have changed in my my, my alleged mindset here uh, quite a bit in the last few days. Well, they do it just right then. That's true. I needed to take a break, and I did. So I got away. I kind of just you know, forgot about the tournament for a couple of days. But now we got. Uh, when do the games start? 3.30 is when the games start. That's correct. 3.30, yeah. TBS, 4.15, CBS. Yeah. And then I'm sticking with my around uh, 6 p.m. number on TBS and around 6.45 on CBS. Usually 30 minutes after the conclusion of the first game wherever that is. We'll answer that question around 1130 today. Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Another March Madness contest. Who do you have ATS, Florida Atlantic, or Tennessee? Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app with FAU at plus four and a half. Tennessee minus four and a half. Tennessee 75% of the vote. Florida Atlantic 25%. You got the mighty SEC against the non-mighty Conference USA and Conference USA. They haven't had a team in the uh, Sweet 16 since Memphis State was still called Memphis State and Memphis State was in Conference USA, which was many years ago. So, Bob, I like to come up with questions that I don't think I have ever asked you before. So <laughs> let's see if I can. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked this one before. Are you a Bob Marley fan and oh. uh, a Buffalo Soldier fan by chance? Uh, to the second part, I don't know what, I don't know Buffalo Soldier. Should I know who they are or what uh, they, well, it's, what, it's what, a song what it that is? he did. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, I, see I, if I can pull it up while you're talking. I know little Bob Marley. Um, I'm not a big reggae fan. In fact, uh, you, there used to be a Tucson bar that, uh, was pretty much exclusively reggae. And I seem to remember being there one night and uh, thinking, I don't think I'm coming back here anymore. <laughs> so um, actually, with a, actually with a friend uh, who was uh, drinking, I probably was too, but he was really drinking. And he like stood up at, uh, during between songs and you know, he's a you know, large dude. 
so he, you know, people knew who he was to begin with and uh, screamed that play another different song. And it was the same song, of course, that they'd played the like previous five songs. All right, here's a little Bob Marley Buffalo Soldier for you. Okay. No, no, this one. I know okay. I shot the sheriff. Okay. But, you know, that's because you know, that was largely because you know, Clapton used that for a big single, and it was in the uh, you know, Clapton comeback from heroin tour and album of uh, 461 Ocean Boulevard. I know that song. I promise there's a point to this. And Stand that, Up and Fight, is that a Bob Marley song too, right? Is that it? Yeah, it might be, sure. yeah. I'll yeah. have to check that out. Uh, so I promise there's a point to all of this, and it's okay. because trade rumors involving DeAndre Hopkins now. Uh, <laughs> so he apparently put out on his Instagram account a story here of him pretending to be like Bob Marley driving a car set to this scene of Buffalo Soldier, which then has sparked this rampant, uh, like I said, rumor that he potentially is interested in the Buffalo Bills. Well, hopefully Aaron Wilson, who covers the NFL, is not reporting this based upon his Instagram account, and he does actually have sources that are not this Buffalo Soldier song, uh, but he is tweeting out here that the trademark market for Hopkins is headlined by the Bills. Also, in addition to that, I heard this yesterday in addition to what Aaron Wilson is tweeting out here about the Chiefs as well. However, some of the financial uh, implications with DeAndre Hopkins's contract could prevent the Chiefs from really being a true contender. I would assume a lot of uh, teams would not be a true contender because of Hopkins' contract. And uh, you know, we had the conflicting reports on Tuesday on ESPN and also NFL Network within uh, 90 minutes of that there's not that many teams interested uh, in, uh, or there are many teams that are interested. Uh, the one thing I think we know for sure about this, or as close to for, for sure as we can get, is uh, the Cowboys, after they added Brandon Cooks over the weekend, they're out of the running if they were in the running to begin with. That's correct. Uh, so do we think we've kind of reached the point with Hopkins' rumors here that things are just kind of getting tossed out, and it depends on which camp is the one tossing it out, seeing if something sticks and something kind of gains some traction? When you're trying to, like, read between the tea leaves and, as you point out a lot, connecting the dots, are we just kind of at that point where it's just a lot of mud? And there's going to be a lot more mud between as closer we get to the draft if he's still with the Cardinals because it seems like it's highly unlikely uh, he will be with the Cardinals next season. And uh, the way the Cardinals are operating this offseason, which is the way I think they should be operating this offseason, which is kind of starting from scratch, uh, that you know you could see what you get for him in return because whenever you're any good again, it seems highly unlikely that Hopkins would be on your team. Speaking of Cardinals, some other official signings that took place this week. The team agreed to a one-year deal with defensive lineman L.J. Collier. Uh, he joins the team from the Seahawks. He played in eight games in 2022, seven total tackles, drafted by the Hawks back in 2019. And really the most, I guess, consequential thing that has come out of this particular signing is that his agent took some shots at the Seahawks going out the door. <laughs> That's about all I know. Uh, when it comes to other signings, a one-year contract with corner Antonio Hamilton, 10 games, five starts last year with the Cardinals, career highs and tackles with 45 passes defended and his first career interception. Yeah, it, uh, the annual what the Cardinals going to do at cornerback issue, which has been going on, used to be, I guess this kind of started 
uh, after Cromarty left because, you know, they had Cromarty and, and uh, Patrick Peterson. That was quite a formidable duel, a duel, especially the first year that Cromarty was here. He wasn't particularly good the second year he was here. Uh, but uh, it's like, who's going to be the opposite corner to Patrick Peterson? And then it's kind of become, who are their corners uh, to some extent in some form of a poll question or just a general question? And uh, that's still out there. So, yeah, Hamilton did have some good moments the last couple of years and uh, some not so good moments. I remember certainly, I remember we talked about the, you know, the game in Mexico City, uh, which is, I'm sure, not uh, the highlight of his career. And that was a feature on Hard Knocks, actually, after we talked about it. In fact, the week after. That is 100% correct. Uh, In addition, the one other one I wanted to mention is the one-year tender was signed by defensive lineman Jonathan Ledbetter. 14 games last year, including three starts, 22 tackles, and one sack for him. Yeah, he made some plays. Uh, He didn't get a big opportunity. Obviously, Zach Allen was really good, and I think arguably, maybe not even arguably, uh, the Cardinals' best uh, player last year when he was on the field. Unfortunately, uh, he had the end in the season early because of injury. And then Watt was, uh, J.J. Watt was really good last year too. So, you know, when you're like the third tackle, you're not going to get as many snaps, even though considering the injury situation, we probably saw more of Ledbetter than than maybe the Cardinals even might have hoped. But uh, like I mean, you, you, he made some plays. He got my attention at least. So, you know, that's a, the kind of guy they should be looking to try to see what he can do in the long term because, you know, they're in a situation where they're looking for guys long term. Uh, we're going to be monitoring this as we get closer to the draft, but a couple of pro days have taken place. C.J. Stroud's yesterday, he apparently impressed at his pro day. The Panthers sent a whopping 12 representatives to take a look <laughs> at him. Uh, they included, uh, I think it was like a two-and-a-half-hour dinner on Tuesday the night as well. The owner was there, too. That was the big thing, apparently. Yes, owner and wife as well. So Yeah, that's true. He even mentioned the wife part in uh, one of his interviews that I saw yesterday i forget which network that was on one of the two uh espn or nfl network but uh he definitely mentioned the the wife part of the uh of the uh of the dinner and actually the same entourage has gone to tuscaloosa in the last 24 hours and done the same thing with bryce young you are correct there uh there is i guess the lip reading fanatics are trying to figure out what uh josh mccown said there's like a little bit of audio that's <laughs> caught on a video and it's whether or not he said when you come to when you move to uh carolina when you maybe move to carolina so everyone's trying to figure that out and and whether or not they're going to place their money on cj stroud being the number one overall pick based upon some sort of clip that was seen and heard for Josh McCown talking to CJ Stroud but to your point Bryce Young set to throw today Uh, I did see a little bit of uh, the pro day on ESPN but I haven't actually seen him throwing yet so I'm not sure if that's taken place and then apparently the entourage is moving on on Friday to go see Will Levis in Kentucky Um, you don't move up to number one if you're the Panthers to take Will Levis or even Anthony Richardson, right? You're just doing your due diligence. Maybe Richardson, just because you know, I think the the upside is you know the highest. If maybe any of these four guys, uh, that's just a, you know upside means you're going to max out basically, and you know certainly his skill set is uh, got to be highly intriguing for NFL you know executives, scouts, coaches, etc. 
On the other side, we will be joined by Doug Howler of The Athletic to talk about Bobby Hurley, uh, ASU hoops, and dive into some more uh, ASU topics as well with Doug from The Athletic. As always, he is Bob Camp. I'm Kayla Mortolaro. It is The Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Doug Howler of The Athletic is coming up next, and for now... Here's a little Buffalo Soldier for you, Bob. Easy Sports Talk with former NFL and MLB player Ed Smith and co-host Javon Adams airs Saturday mornings 10 to noon on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point on this Thursday, March 23rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today. And we pop on out to the KDOS hotline, joined by Doug Howler of The Athletic to talk ASU, Bobby Hurley contract extension, and some other things around Valley sports. Doug, as always, Bob and Kayla, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing fantastic. Well, let's first start here with the news from the week. Bobby Hurley getting a two-year contract extension to stay as Arizona State's head coach through the 2026 season pending Arizona Board of Region approval. What does the enthusiasm level feel like after ASU's play-in game and almost a win over TCO in the first round of the tournament? Does this now feel like something is building or did it just feel like an inevitable thing that this contract extension was coming? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with the way they finished the season, uh, you know, and it started with that late February win over Arizona and Tucson, um, you know, and then, I mean, they were pretty much, they were they were on the outside looking in until that happened uh, on the outside of the NCAA tournament. And then they did what they had to do. You know, they went in the in the, turn, the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, they beat USC, um, played maybe their best game of the season against Nevada in the first four and really just, battle TCU um, and again just just really fought and it was one of those games where you really uh, where you know both teams probably deserve to win so in that sense in the fact that this is probably uh, I don't know if it was Bobby's best team but I think you could make an argument that it might have been one of his best seasons so yeah I think the extension was good um, and probably needed uh, you know the fact though that it came you know, after, you know, when his contract is expiring after the 2024 season, you know, Bobby was kind of out there dangling a little bit. Um, usually these things are done, taken care of sooner, so it's not something that schools can recruit against him with um, because, you know, every parent, every kid wants to know, are you going to be there? And, you know, Bobby didn't have that security until he got the extension. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, that, that that suggests that this wasn't a slam dunk, that the administration wanted to see some things before they uh, put out the extension. And, you know, Bobby Bobby delivered on his part, and the university responded. So um, whether or not they could build off of it, I don't know. I think Arizona State's one of those programs where every year you're just going to reset, uh, you know, with the transfer portal and everything else. But we'll see. But it, it's definitely, uh, like I said, one of Bobby's better, better seasons uh, this year. 
Yeah, after the loss to TCU, he was asked about the state of the program, and I think it's safe to say that he was rather defiant in his answer. <laughs> so uh, how would you describe the state of the ASU program? Well, but I think it's right where, where it always is. Um, I mean, I've had this conversation a lot over the years, and you know, it always starts with ASU should be competing for Sweet 16s, for Pac-12 championships. Uh, of course, they haven't been to a Sweet 16 since, since 1995. They haven't. They've never won the Pac-12 regular season title or the Pac-12 tournament. Um, I, you know, I, I think going into every year, Pac, Arizona State is a bubble team. I mean, that's the baseline. They go into every season. Uh, the bubble NCAA tournament uh, is the realistic expectation. You know, just getting in. And some years they're going to win a few games and they're going to make it. Some years they're going to lose a few key games and not make it. Um, I just think that's the program. You know, if you want to. If you want to elevate it, you need to put more resources into it. You need to, to fix some things around the program. And I know that the state or the arena has gotten a lot of attention and the state that, that it's in. Uh, but, you know, I just feel like with, with where they're at, what they've done, um, you know, it's really hard. It's a hard job. And to I think John Canzano uh, up in Oregon had a list of where Arizona, where all the Pac-12 schools ranked as far as what they put into the basketball program. And ASU was the middle of the pack. And I think that reflects where they are. Um, will they have a year where they exceed expectations? No doubt. But I do think Bobby, his best thing that he did this year, two things. One, he really worked the transfer portal to his advantage. Uh, the Cambridge brothers were, were great additions. Uh, Frankie Collins as a point guard, a guy who contributed or distributed the ball, was, was a great addition. And you saw that. This team played together better than some of Bobby's former teams had. And, you know, also uh, – I just think that that's one thing that he has in his favor and also just the playing style. You have to have something to get people to, to come to ASU. And I know sometimes it rubs people the wrong way about maybe taking bad shots and all that. But if you think about it, you know, what, what does Bobby have to sell uh, when he recruits? They, they don't have a strong position. They don't have great facilities. But he does have a playing style where players can be themselves, particularly guards. And uh, that's something that he's, that he's always delivered on. He's always gotten good, good guards. Doug Howler of The Athletic right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. You alluded to the facilities, so let's just touch on this now. Uh, what do you make of Ray Anderson being quoted back in February as saying Desert Financial Arena is in, quote, dire need of improvements? Meanwhile, ASU President Michael Crow told the state press that Desert Final Financial Arena is, quote, completely functional and it's actually a fine facility and just needs some updates and said that he doesn't know what Anderson means by dire. Ultimately, how much of a factor is the arena in the recruiting element, the aesthetic element, and really the environment for fans and and students and student athletes. Well, it's it's incredibly important, um, you know. And just when, when Michael Crow said that, I, I reached out and texted uh, some some Pac-12 former Pac-12 assistants who I've gotten to know over the years and asked them, like, just you know, what do you make of Desert Financial Arena? Is it is it functional? As Michael Crow said, uh, is it a disadvantage? Uh, and Pretty much, I got one coach who said it was average. One said, um, you know, among all the conferences he's worked in over his career, it's among the worst arenas he's been in. Um, and it's not so much, you know, if you just go in, you know, the actual court itself isn't bad. Um, I, it's everything around it. The, the thing that fans can't, the things that fans can't see, the locker rooms are are, are subpar. Uh, the weight room is old. 
Um, those are things that help you in recruiting. And when you have coaches, uh, you know, even as far back as Herm Sindek, who said that they tried to avoid taking players on recruiting visits to the arena or at least spending um, <laughs> the least amount of time there as possible, that, that is a problem because you know how it is in college athletics. Uh, those things matter to kids. And, you know, some of the things that Michael Crow said needed, improve, or needed improvement, needed update, are, are things that I've heard for a number of years, not just like recently. It's, it's, been, it's been out there for a while, and it still hasn't been fixed. Um, so I think that's a starting point is, you know, if people, I know some people were wanting a coaching change. You know, I don't know how much would change unless you, you know, you address the things that, uh, you know, that matter like that. So uh, it is, it's not a positive by any means. In fact, one coach told me that uh, I reached out to said that, you know, what, what Bobby's done there, given the arena, has been almost miraculous. Um, that might be a little bit strong, but that definitely, you know, demonstrates or at least uh, shows what people think of the arena. Last thing for me as far as ASU goes in the Pac-12, you know, obviously Crow and uh, Robbins and Tucson, and I believe it was the Utah administrator, one of them, I'm not familiar with his name, but they've all spoken out here in the last you know, week or so to kind of, you know, you know, building a fence basically almost sounds like uh, in universal uh, you know, comments about the, 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 the Pac-12 as good as is and we're not leaving and la-di-da. Uh, you, you, should, I, should we believe that stuff? I wouldn't believe anything, Bob. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, obviously, if the word is out that, you know, like, hey, I'm sure, you know, the commissioner, George Kliakoff, doesn't uh, appreciate that while he's trying to negotiate a media rights deal, there are all these reports that certain Pac-12 schools are talking to the Big 12. <laughs> um, that, that would seem to lessen the value of the Pac-12. So I don't think it was an accident that, that so many um, presidents at the same time, within a matter of days, uh, you know, kind of – spoke publicly and put out a unified front. Um, I, I do think a lot of it is just premature. I, I don't doubt that there's some conversations between certain schools in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Um, how serious that is, you know, what does conversations mean? Who knows? Um, but, you know, I do think it's kind of a wait-and-see mode. Let's see what deal, media rights deal we can get, and then we have something to go on. You know, we can compare it to what other school, what other conferences are getting, and then we can make a decision. But, you know, at this point, I think it's foolish uh, based on, you know, if, if the Pac-12 hasn't learned its lesson with what happened with USC and UCLA, then, then shame on them. Because when it comes down to it, every school is going to ultimately do what's best for themselves. And they probably should. I mean, that's kind of the landscape that we're in now, college sports. Doug Howler of The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. One more for me on the conference here. So with USC and UCLA set to leave for the Big Ten in 2024, does this change uh, the perception of like the next schools that are supposed to elevate themselves into being contenders here? Of course, you have U of A and their strength here, but the rivalries between U of A and UCLA going away, does this 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 is lend itself to ASU uh, kind of catapulting itself into the conference, or are those just really unrealistic expectations? Well, it should, yes. I mean, definitely in football, when you when you lose an anchor like USC that provides an opportunity to move up. But, you know, we just saw this with Clay Helton when uh, he was during the Clay Helton years at USC. They were down, and Arizona State certainly didn't take advantage of it. Uh, Utah did. Utah kind of became that anchor. Um, 
you know, at least in the South Division when there was a South Division. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's an opportunity there. Uh, you know, it sounds like there's some momentum behind having San Diego State join the conference to give it a Southern California presence. Obviously, San Diego State doesn't have the tradition and prestige at USC. But, yeah, I mean, there is a, a, there's an opportunity for everyone to kind of step up and become that anchor program in the Pac-12. <laughs> you know, it's just a little bit interesting right now because we're not real sure what the Pac-12 will look like when all this is over with. But, you know, I feel like Arizona State has had that opportunity in the past, especially, like I said, in the recent past. and just didn't take advantage of it. Okay, on to the Suns we go. As they stagger to the finish line in the regular season here, obviously no Aiton and no Durant. Uh, you know, this morning a uh, story that uh, you wrote uh, published about uh, five big concerns. And uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, I've talked about some of these on the air the last couple of weeks, and maybe a couple I haven't. But uh, how much of this concern just kind of evaporates if Kevin Durant comes back and is healthy in place? Well, I think a lot of it does, um, but <laughs> because he's just so talented, and I think the Suns will uh, just when they just showed flashes when he was out there on the court during those three games, you could see like, okay, this has this has real potential. Uh, this could be special, but you know, just given the time frame of you know with his ankle when he might return, and you know, he showed that he can come back and play at a high level level fairly quickly. That he won't be rusty, or the time off won't bother him. But it's just everything else around him, you know, and the fact that the monkey's still kind of figuring out the rotations, not a huge deal, but you want to have that stuff pretty much, you know, in place going into the playoffs and not figuring it out in the early rounds of the playoffs. And I think that's probably what the Suns are looking at. Uh, the biggest issue, and if I had to do that, that story over again, I probably would have led with the defense, you know, number one, because, you know, it just – you know, I think teams have figured out, attack the rim against the Suns, um, especially with DeAndre out. Not that he was a great shot blocker, but, you know, not a lot of resistance. I know Bismack Biombo had some great blocks last night, but, you know, worst-case scenario, they may foul you and put you on the line. But, you know, the last two games against Oklahoma City, a game in which they led by 10 for most of the game, I think Oklahoma City was 11 for 18 in the fourth quarter against the Suns. And then last night against the Lakers, the Lakers were 9 of 11 in the fourth quarter. And, you know, they're just not getting stops. They're just not getting stops to give themselves a chance. You know, and then there's the whole free throw thing, uh, which I'm sure you've probably discussed. But uh, definitely there, there are some issues that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the way it's changed in just a month from when Kevin Durant came to where they are now. Well, Bob's certainly been harping on the defensive end of things for a while now, so I'll piggyback off of that. Uh, it can Kevin Durant also change how things operate on the defensive end when he returns? And can it change enough for it to be successful coming out of the West? Well, I mean, he's obviously one of the best scorers in NBA history, so all the attention goes there. But he, he does play a fairly good defense. Uh, he has some length, so you know we saw that uh, just in the three games that he was here. So I think, I think it will be an improvement. But, you know, just the loss of Mikael Bridges uh, and what he could do the versatility that he had, I think that's, that's huge. I'm not saying that this was a trade that anybody should regret because I would still um, I, I would still would pull the trigger on the trade even given the freak injury that Kevin had um, just because of the, the upside. But I do think they, they missed him. And, you know, it's kind of a rotation of, you know, when they're going to play, uh, you know, someone like Luca in the playoffs or whatever, they, I think it's going to be a rotation of people. Uh, and also Jay Crowder not having him. He's a guy that, that could guard those guys last year. But, you know, I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference when he comes back. I think they'll be better. 
But I just think with the way the, the roster is right now, they're just not as good uh, a defensive team as they were. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the fouling thing, uh, you know, a lot of that's positioning. You know, a lot of that's just silliness. Um, you know, we saw one last night with Josh Koji, Koji in the backcourt just bumping somebody and picking up a foul and putting them on the line when, you know, there was no reason to do that. So a lot of it also is just making uh, – just playing smart basketball, I think. Okay, one last thing for me. On to the Cardinals we go. DeAndre Hopkins, will he be traded uh, before or during the draft or after that? I would think they'd want to try to get that done before the draft just to maybe see if they could, uh, you know, move up a certain place, get an additional draft pick, use that to their advantage there. I mean, it's a pretty valuable trade piece to have, even though, I mean, now when you look back on it, you gave a first-round pick, your first-round pick last, or, uh, last year for Marquise Brown. Uh, are, are for Hollywood, and you know, you may obviously when you're when you're shopping a, a talent like DeAndre Hopkins, and you don't think you can even get close to that, uh, it doesn't reflect really well. But I, I would think they would try, you know, just try to add additional pieces to this draft just to, to build the roster. You know, I did at the Athletic. We had to put together a mock draft for all the picks, so I went through all of Arizona's eight picks. It was difficult, Bob. I mean, just because, yeah. you know, outside of Will Anderson at three, which I think is a no-brainer if they keep it, after that there are so many needs. Uh, it's really hard to kind of prioritize what, where they should go at certain, or what they should do at certain spots. They just have so many needs. Um, the roster really needs to uh, add talent. So I think if they could train them before, that would be, that would be their best move. Doug, as always, we greatly appreciate you taking some time with us on the program, and we look forward to doing it again soon. All right. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Once again, Doug Howler there with The Athletic, uh, his son's stories, his Cardinals stories, and of course, he's still connected in with ASU. Uh, it's poll question time on the other side of the break, so we'll get into some poll questions, uh, kdos1060.com, as well as Twitter at kdosam1060. Still time to cast your vote. Vote. We'll go into that on the other side of the break as it is all Sweet 16 March Madness related. And uh, also continuing on with that basketball theme, if you haven't done it yet, pick the winner of the basketball bonanza by going to kdos1060.com. Enter the Basketball Blitz contest from Desert Diamond Casino West Valley. If you correctly pick the winner of it all, you go into one big pot for your chance at $2,000. Time is winding down to get your picks in, so be sure to do so for your chance at $2,000. And while you're at it, check out Winner's Sports Bar from Desert Diamond Casino West Valley as it's serving up great food and drinks surrounded by wall-to-wall screens and Arizona's best local sports book. More Extra Point is coming up next. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is mail, chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Eleven forty-one here on KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app. 
Thanks to Doug Howler of The Athletic. Plethora of topics there with him. ASU men's basketball, the contract extension with Bobby Hurley, uh, the arena situation, the conference situation, Suns, as well as some Arizona Cardinals. And if you missed any of that interview, you can always podcast KDOS1060.com as well as with the KDOS1060 app. All right. It is poll question time. It's Sweet 16 time. Who do you have ATS on Thursday? It's the last game of the night, and it's supposed to be a good one. Gonzaga and UCLA. Gonzaga plus one and a half. UCLA minus one and a half. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, if healthy, uh, which UCLA is obviously not, I would clearly uh, be on UCLA. This number would also, I assume, be higher. Uh, Probably maybe closer to three. Um, If I had to make it just a, you know, everybody's playing. If I had to make a line for this game, you know, three is probably a good starting point and then see what the public wants to do with it at that point. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I still think UCLA wins. Um, I don't really care about the the, the revenge factor uh, from two years ago or even last year when they played in a non-conference game in uh, this very arena they're playing in tonight at T-Mobile. They played a non-conference game. Uh, and uh, the uh, you, you, Gonzaga won that game, but Gonzaga was a better team last year than than uh, they are this year, and I think they were a better team than UCLA was last year too. Uh, but I don't care about the revenge thing. And as far as uh, you know, I know some people are using that as a big motivation. I'm sure it is for Hawkins and Tiger Campbell, because not only did they lose in the uh, NCAA tournament to Gonzaga two years ago, they lost last year in the quote rematch uh, during the regular season. But uh, I think during the completely healthy, I think that especially the bone injury really bothers me as much as anything right now. We've seen them now five games without, you know, without Jalen Clark. And, you know, we had the Singleton thing from the last minute of the game against uh, against Northwestern. And, you know, hopefully he can play because he's he's a really good. He's played more games uh, in his career than any player ever at UCLA. And I know that. You know, most of the great players in UCLA either didn't even have to didn't play their freshman year because freshmen weren't allowed to play, or the fact that we've had the COVID situation get an extra year, and that Singleton's been there for this all this time. But yeah, his experience I think makes a difference. And yeah, the Bona thing though with the shoulder injury, yeah, he's the only guy they have that I think uh, was you know kind of chance to slow down Drew Timmy, who's a tremendous college player, and Bona. If Jalen Clark weren't the defensive player of the year in the Pac-12 this year, I'm assuming Bona would have been. I don't know. I didn't see any voting of who finished second as far as that goes. Uh, So I think that's a big deal for this game. But I'm still taking UCLA, but I have no financial wager on this game because I'm just concerned. Maybe in-game, but then the Bona thing, you know, it's a pain tolerance uh, issue as far as uh, at least what Mick Cronin said after the Northwestern game. Uh, so, you know, there's no guarantee that if he looks good at the start of the game that if he doesn't get hurt in that shoulder and, you know, those things, uh, as it went, uh, as was the case in the game, in the Northwestern game, he wasn't able to finish that game because he just got, you know, bumped on a, on a play in the, in the paint. So I'm with you on all of this here, and obviously being able to slow down Timmy is really important for UCLA. I, I guess is the way to slow down Timmy is actually attack him on the uh, where he's on the defensive side of the ball, so you try to get him into foul trouble or anything like that? Absolutely. He's a horrible pick-and-roll player, which is why I think a lot of people believe that 
you know, how who's he guard in the NBA? And does he score in the NBA too? Because he's you know, gets a lot of his uh, points in the college level around the paint. And while you know, it's not like it's in the heyday of the NBA in the 60s and the 70s where everybody had a shot blocker, uh, there's certainly more guys that can defend that area of the floor in the NBA than there are in college basketball these days because all those guys that are any good in college basketball are already in the NBA. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I think the way to defend Timmy is you got to put pressure on the guards of Gonzaga and not make the entry passes as easy as we've seen in the past. Not Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern, they have they, – those two teams we've talked about before the game – Northwestern and UCLA play tremendous half-court defense. They're so well coached, and I think that game kind of went as, according to form, at least for what we talked about before the game actually started. The only other thing I will add to all of this here, because I'm with you, I think UCLA is going to win the game here, uh, that Jaime Hawkes, Tyga Campbell, I don't know that the Gonzaga uh, defense is going to be able to do much to get them out of rhythm, so I think that they should have a good game as well. I agree with that, and I also think this is a – yeah, I'm not I'm crazy about parlaying uh, sides and totals, but you would think that if you think the Gonzaga is going to win, that it's going to be a higher scoring game. And if you, UCLA wins, uh, usually they've been able to control tempo in games, including the, the games that they played against the U of A uh, this year when they won and or lost. That, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, lower scoring. It should be UCLA. Higher scoring Gonzaga, you don't know for sure, but it does seem to at least make some sense right now. Hopefully uh, it makes some sense tomorrow, and I don't have to say, wow, it was really stupid yesterday. The masses, though, they're on the UCLA side of things at 60% of the vote. Gonzaga sitting at 40%. This is KDOS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Another matchup here, Florida Atlantic, Tennessee. Florida Atlantic plus 4.5, Tennessee minus 4.5. Numbers coming from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So who do you have? Uh, Well, I think Tennessee is the better team. Tennessee has a, a major height advantage. I also think that we saw them bully Duke around so are they going to be able to bully FAU around Uh, they obviously play really great defense we talked about how good FAU as is at shooting from behind the arc but how good Tennessee is on the defensive end of the ball and putting you in positions of not shooting when you want to shoot not really shooting in rhythm Um, I guess the big thing for me is is Tennessee going to be able to score like will they be just matching like lull for lull and therefore thinking if you're on the Tennessee side that they're gonna have to win by five and maybe potentially having late foul situations creep into this thing I can't lay points you mentioned the foul situation and that's a big deal for Tennessee uh, they didn't call fouls in that game against Duke on Saturday I'm sure Duke wishes it would have been a quicker whistle whistle and during the season though there were plenty of fouls called in Tennessee they are 259th in the country and free throw attempts allowed. There's only 364 Division I teams, and they sat at 259. So they got pl- called for plenty of fouls, not last Saturday uh, in that game, but I uh, would think that uh, quick whistle makes, makes a, a big difference in this game. I have no idea what's going to happen in this game tonight. You know, before the NCAA tournament, you know, Tennessee was 5-7 and seven in its last 12 games of the regular season. Actually, I'm sorry, let me I'll update that. It's 5-7 and seven heading into tonight in the last 12 games, uh, counting the regular season and last week when they won two games. And they also, going back to the non-conference schedule, and actually a couple SEC games too, 
They have five losses this season, the teams that are 40th or worse in Kimpom. And you know, a couple of those losses are teams you can't be losing to, you wouldn't think. So I have no idea. You know, they played down to competition during the season. No knock on Florida Atlantic here, but it's uh, not the uh, usual team or the uh, you know the uh, you know, team. Not talent level because Florida Atlantic certainly has talent, but you know not the uh, all around team with the. You know, I know they have thirty some wins, etc. You know, I'm not trying to trash for Atlantic here, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting situation. And like I said, I'll throw all these things together and I'm further confused than I was, uh, you know, I'm further confused on this Thursday than I was on Monday. Well, the masses, at least to the tune of 75% of them, not confused. They're on Tennessee minus four and a half and Florida Atlantic sitting at 25%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Uh, Sweet 16, it gets started with the Michigan State and Kansas State game today around, uh, what is that, 3.30 today on TBS. So it should be a fun afternoon of hoops that we are in store for. Speaking of hoops, we were talking a little bit yesterday about the Eastern Conference and how maybe Joel Embiid had uh, snuck in there to the MVP conversation. In addition to the 76ers were on a roll of winning eight in a row before they had just lost the previous game. Well, they played last night and uh, Joel Embiid didn't return in the second half with a calf strain. And that was your main point. You can't trust Joel Embiid staying healthy. I can't. And I also just don't trust the rest of the roster when we get to the postseason. It's not just him as far as uh, the, 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 the T word. I'm going to use this word a lot when we get to especially the NBA playoffs. We wrap it up. Extra point on the other side of the break on this Thursday, March 23rd edition. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KTUS AM 1060 and the KTUS 1060 app. March 23rd, Thursday edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app brought to you by Superbook Sports. Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else. Sip through the cracks. Also our guest today. A UCLA Gonzaga preview with Ben Bolch of the Los Angeles Times. He thinks it's got toss-up type of game. And we also had uh, some ASU basketball discussion and other Valley sports topics, uh, including the Suns and the Cardinals with Doug Haller from The Athletic. Sound of the day courtesy of TNT, TBS, CBS, True TV, Valley Sports Arizona, ESPN, and also Valley Sports Southwest. Special thanks, special thanks, as always, to Kayla and to Corey and Aaron. And I'm running out of gas here. Kayla, what's coming up next? Coming up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and uh, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster-Bierstein from 5 to 6. Last night, ASU baseball topped GCU 11 to 1. Ryan Campos was 3 of, three of 4, including his first career 
career triple. He now has four games where he has had a three-hit performance this season, and ASU is set to play the U of A for a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday set, and all games are here on KDOS AM 1060, so head on over to KDOS1060.com for the full schedule. I promised another update about the World Golf Championships Dell Technologies match play. So Tony Finau, he's done four and three. He's 2-0-0 so far with tomorrow's final round of round-robin action set to take place. If you've been participating in the head-to-head matchups betting, uh, you're going to have to get your bets in earlier because I heard that they're moving up tee times for tomorrow because of inclement weather that is expected to arrive in Austin. Uh, then you also have Cameron Young coming back to win one up. He is 2-0-0, and that's great news for us because we have him as one of the people to uh, potentially win this whole thing. So that's great news, and he's off to a good start. Uh, Jordan Spieth, he is tied with Taylor Montgomery in his current match through 13 holes. Max Homa is one up on Kevin Kisner. Uh, and then you have Patrick Cantlay, one up through nine so far on K.H. Lee. He's another one of our outrights that we're going to be monitoring. I had mentioned Tyrrell Hatton as someone that I had in the outrights, but uh, was very concerned because of the wrist injury and hand injury. He's expected to give it another go today. I guess that means, I mean, one, there's still a chance that he could potentially win the thing, I guess, maybe, possibly. But uh, I guess it means that it's not that serious because I think you'd want to withdraw ahead of Augusta coming up in a couple of weeks. Give yourself some time if it's a more serious injury. So we'll continue to monitor what's happening in the world of golf. And, of course, the uh, event, the LPGA Drive-On Championship taking place at Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club is also underway and uh, we'll be continuing to monitor that as well. Nellie Corda, she is uh, yet to tee off. She has an afternoon tee time. But as always, thank you very much for listening to The Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, Sweet 16 action. We dive into all of it tomorrow as well.